0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good to see you all here. Uh, today's passage is difficult, as uh, Isaiah generally is, so you'll definitely need a Bible in front of you, uh, especially those 13 verses that we've just had read to us. And uh, you do need to concentrate to what I'm saying because uh, really, there's a lot to learn here. So let's pray to God that uh, He'll help us to concentrate. Okay, dear Father, as we come before You, indeed, we meet You once again in Your Word. But we pray that our minds will not be distracted, that we will not stop concentrating on what You're saying, because indeed, what You're saying is so important for us to hear today. And we pray for all these things, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, my father has been retired for many years now. And uh, over the last few years, he's discovered the joy of uh, WhatsApp. <laughs> but the problem is that uh, you know it's hard for him to really discern what is true and what is false, uh, what is real and what is fake. So you know he, I don't know whether you've experienced this, but you know he's constantly forwarding us this barrage of uh, of links and everything that his friends are sending him, and you know. You kind of like wonder should you be drinking water cold, hot, or lukewarm? Right? Should you be eating your fruits before or after your meal? Should you be avoiding certain foods or should you be consuming a lot of certain foods? Are there cancer causing fruits or food? Are there cancer stopping foods? Right? Is there a conspiracy in Hong Kong right now? Okay, so you get all this information. So whenever we meet up with my dad for dinner, we're always uh, having this discussion about who should we be listening to? Right? Who should we be listening to? And I think that's very relevant for us as Christians today because there are many voices competing for our attention, uh, for our loyalty, and for our obedience. So today, as we look at the passage today, chapter 49, it says in verse 1, Listen to me, you islands, Hear this, you distant nations. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves first as we look at this passage is, who are we to listen to? Who is speaking, right? So to understand that, we really need to understand the big context, the big picture of the book of Isaiah. And as someone said to me just this morning, uh, you know, Isaiah is quite difficult to understand, right? And really, you need to grasp the big picture in order to understand the discrete units. So in chapter 1 to 39, we've already learned that Isaiah was ministering in the period of uh, the the reign of uh, Isaiah, threatening to conquer Jerusalem and Judah. But in chapter 40 onwards, really, we're looking more in terms of the time where Babylon was the superpower of the day. And Babylon had conquered Judah and taken the people out into exile. So this is the period... Which we are looking at today in Isaiah chapter 49. Right, the capital of Jerusalem is destroyed. The next slide. Okay, the people are taken into exile to Babylon. OK, So you can move forward.. Yep. So they're taken uh, the next one. So they're taken into captivity, into exile in Babylon. And here in Babylon, really, God's people are confronted with two temptations, two seductions. Two weaknesses. Uh, the first temptation really is, if you imagine you're a small, puny nation which has been conquered, you're now living in exile in this big, mighty nation. The temptation of looking and, and, I guess, envying and being seduced by the great power of Babylon. So the danger for God's people were, they were putting their faith and trust in the princes and the kings and the power of Babylon. So we saw that in Isaiah chapter 40, right, the next slide, oh, okay, the next slide, okay, where God rebukes them and says, you know, why do you want to trust in the princes and the rulers of Babylon, or of this world, because they are like grasshoppers, right, they are like nothing, they'll be blown like shaft, they'll be, you know, I don't know how, why does all his actions, but you know, like all the little shafty things all blown away, right, okay, so why do you want to put your, your trust in, in kings and princes of Babylon, but the second temptation was they were also putting their trust in the idols and the gods of Babylon. Okay, so the next slide. So Babylon had many, many various gods and God's people were tempted to trust in the gods of Babylon because obviously if Babylon is very powerful then their gods must be very powerful. So in Isaiah chapter 40 again, God tells them, oh, this is one of the idols. Kind of ugly looking idol, okay? So, God tells his people, you know, why do you want to trust in these idols? Because they are just uh, made of uh, wood or stone, right? And they they don't have any power, right? So like why I was saying last week, you know, it's just like they're just standing there. like They have no power at all. So that's the big idea, the big context. And in Isaiah chapter 42 and 40, uh, 41, as we learned last week, uh, God says that, he introduces this new character, right? And uh, next slide. Oh, that's right, it's up there. So he says, You know, behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their images are like wind and emptiness. Behold, my servant, whom I hold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So what we learned last week was God was saying, Look, don't put your faith in these idols, but put your faith instead in the Servant. And this servant, we learned last week, is going to do two things. He's going to bring justice, God's righteous rule into the world, and he's going to bring salvation, freedom from bondage. Okay, so that's what we learned last week. Okay, he's going to bring justice and he's going to bring salvation. The next slide. All right, okay, so the servant, next slide. Yep. So we learned of this servant who's going to come, he's going to bring salvation. And he's going to bring justice. And this is who is speaking right now. Okay? Because today we are coming to the second of the servant songs in Isaiah. So the, the Isaiah has, uh, the next slide, has four passages which are featured very prominently in the New Testament. They keep talking about this person called the servant of God. Right? The servant of God. So last week was the first passage about the servant of God. So this week is the second passage. Now in chapter 49, the servant speaks on his own. So last week you'll notice the servant is kind of like the third person, right? You know, God keeps describing the servant. Now the servant speaks and he says, listen to me, hear me. But I want you to notice something very carefully. If you look at the passage, he doesn't say, listen to me, Judah. Listen to me, Israel. Listen to me, Jerusalem. He says, listen to me. You islands, you distant nations. Okay, so what we've learned here is that actually the servant of God is calling out to all people, including Singaporeans, and not just the people of Israel, God's people at that time. And that reason is because, as we saw last week, Jesus, or the servant, is the one who is the light of the Gentiles, as well as the one who is the covenant promise to God's people. Now, this is a very important point. Because, you know, sometimes you have conversations with people, and uh, like we were praying for SUSS, uh, see you just a moment ago, and you want to share the gospel with people, and then they'll say to you, oh, I don't need to listen about Jesus, why? Or because I was born in dot, 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 family. Right? Or I was born into dot, 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 religion. But actually, what you see in this passage is Jesus, the servant, is saying here that all people of the world need to listen to Him. They need to hear Him. They need to pay attention to Him. And as we turn to verse 2, He gives us one of the reasons why. In verse 2, He says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and conceal me in his quiver. Now, I found it very amusing last week again, uh, when Y was sharing about how he was, uh, he got quite angry because, do you remember what he said last week, why he was quite angry? Because his family wouldn't listen to him or something, right? His kids wouldn't listen to him, okay, his wife is different, okay, his his kids wouldn't listen to him, right? Yeah, yeah, so, so. I could it, that resonated with me lah like, because you know often when I tell my kids things it's like like there're these words coming out of my mouth, but they're just like sounds in air right they 're kind of like meaningless, they don 't make any sense because no one seems to be hearing what i 'm saying, so even last week, I went to um lunch with someone, I wanted to order they all right, and I was like I asked this guy like ten minutes for they all, but but nothing happened, you see, so for me. It's like words come out of my mouth, but they have no power. But in the mouth of the servant, it says there that his mouth is like a double edged sword, right? Or like a sharpened sword. And that means that uh, we have to listen to the servant because his mouth has power, like a sword. In fact, it says here that his mouth is like an arrow shooting, right? So, what actually is happening here is this. He's speaking the words of God, but he's speaking the words of God in a way that hurts people. Because, you know, swords and arrows are offensive weapons, right? So, you know, you, you, you shoot an arrow, it hurts you, right? You, 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 you have a knife in your hand, it's not ornamental, you're meant to kill it. So what does it really mean? What is the meaning of the metaphor? What is the meaning of the image? Well, I think we have to turn to the New Testament because when you learn, turn to the New Testament, we see that actually what Jesus is saying through these words in Isaiah is that the words that come out of the servant's mouth is actually the words of judgment. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, so there are a few New Testament references in today's passage. Oh, the next slide. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And again in Revelation chapter 1, it says, And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And we saw when we saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like as a dead man. He laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So when you actually understand Isaiah chapter 49, looking back from Revelation and Hebrews, the the. the double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of the servant is actually the the word of judgment. So in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the one who's speaking because he was dead, but now he lives forever. And so when when we come to the servant, we are seeing someone who has the power of judgment coming out of his mouth. And that's why the whole world needs to listen to him and to hear him. Because that's a terrifying power to have, isn't it? If you don't listen to this servant, then he has the power to judge you. But this image here is even more scary when you look at verse 2 because this sharpened sword and this polished arrow is hidden in the shadow of his hand who hid me and concealed in his quiver. So it's almost as if like if someone has a has a knife hidden in their sleeve, right? Or in their pocket and they stab you in the heart, It's like you're dead before you know what happens, right? Or if someone has an arrow and it's concealed in their bow and they shoot you, then before you know it, it's kind of like sticking out of your eye sort of thing, right? So so what it's saying here, you need to listen to the servant. You need to hear the servant now before that that word of judgment hits you because you're not ready for it. But in verse 3 to 6, there is a more positive picture of the servant. In verse 3 it says, he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb of, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and to gather Israel to himself, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God is my strength. For he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, here we see in verse 3 to 6 that the the servant expects that people will not listen to him. Because he says that I've labored in vain. I spent my strength on nothing at all. It's like he spent his strength in vain. So the servant comes. He does his ministry. But people don't listen. But yet it says there, God will be faithful. And God will give him his reward because he will achieve what God wants him to do. Which is to bring Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel, right? So Jacob... Israel synonymous he's going to bring God's people Israel back to himself but i like what it says there in verse 6 right it is too small a thing for you just to bring back God's people to God right so not challenging enough for the servant too light an assignment he also has to be the light of the gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth now this is a wonderful news because If the servant just brought judgment, then if you listen to him, it's only bad news, right? But when you listen and hear the servant, he brings good news because whether you are a Gentile, a non-Jew, or whether you're God's people, the Jews, the servant comes to bring salvation to everyone. And that's why you need to listen, and you need to hear the servant. Now, it's very sad because even the day that we live today, people do not listen and hear the servant. And they do not hear of the good news that the servant brings. Right? So a while ago, I watched this uh, this movie called Sunset uh, Limited. Actually, I'm sure very, very few people watch have ever w- watched this movie or even heard of this movie. Um, I-, I watched it. It was quite interesting. Basically, it's only about two people. So if you're looking for action, there's no action, right? It's basically a play where a black guy and a white guy sit across the table and they basically just see them having an argument on the discussion for like an hour. So it sounds quite boring, okay? But surprisingly, even though it's a Hollywood uh, movie, it's really about a Christian who's a black guy and an atheist who's a white guy. And the black guy has saved the white guy from jumping in front of a subway train in New York and he's trying to talk him out of taking his life. And the black guy is actually sharing his faith to the white guy. And in the conversation, the black guy asked the white guy if he's ever read the Bible. And the white guy is this university professor, and uh, he says, oh, you know, he's just briefly looked at parts of it. And uh, the black guy asked the white guy, you know, how many books have you read, you know, in your life? And he says, oh, you know, every year I read about 100 books, and I've read 100 books for almost 40 years. So the black guy goes, well, you've read like 40, 4,000 books in your life, but you've never read the greatest book that's ever been written. And then the white guy says, well, you know, I consider war and peace, you know, the greatest book and all that sort of stuff, like, right? But you think about it for a moment. I think it's true for many people, right? I mean, can you imagine how many articles that people have read on the internet? How many new newspapers people have read? How many novels people have read? But yet, how many people have actually bothered to read the Bible, which really is the greatest book ever written because it speaks of salvation and judgment. And as we read here in Isaiah 49, the servant, which is Jesus Christ. But we here who have read Isaiah 49 must take to heart what is being said to us, that we need to listen, we need to hear what the servant says because he brings salvation. But if we don't listen to him, then he brings judgment. Now, I hope we're not like the white guy in the movie where we read lots of things, but we don't actually listen and hear what God is saying through the servant. Now, in verse 7 to 13, you actually see uh, that this section is divided into two parts. Okay, Now, uh, it's divided with the phrase... This is what the Lord says. Can you see that in your Bibles? So it's divided into two two parts. Can you see in verse 7 to verse 8? It begins in verse 7. This is what the Lord says. It begins in verse 8. This is what the Lord says. So it naturally falls into two parts. And each of those parts have a slightly different idea. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you see what it says there in the Bible? There are two parts, right? This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. So in the first part... It speaks of uh, the, what the Lord is saying. Uh, if you notice, the Lord is in capital L-O-R-D. Can you see capital L-O-R-D? Whenever the Bible uses capital L-O-R-D, it's actually God's covenant name to the Jews, Yahweh. Okay, so Yahweh says various things. And what he's trying to talk about himself is he's trying to talk about his character, what he's really like. Uh, I know we would, we would, uh, we, it would seem strange for, for us to talk about ourselves that way. You know, I'm a compassionate person. No, it doesn't work that way, right? But God speaks about himself that way. And as he describes himself, he then says this is what he's going to do for us through the servant. So in the first section, he tells us that he is a redeemer God. He says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. Now, Redeemer is not a word that you come across very often. You know, you don't read about it in the newspaper. Uh, You know, nobody says Donald Trump, the Redeemer, right? Something like that, right? It's like, Redeemer is not a word that we use. But what does redeem mean? Because this is something that's very important if it describes God. Well, if, uh, let's say, next slide. Let's say my, my wife buys me a present, okay? say a watch, uh, but I don't really like that watch. So I decide to pawn it at a pawn shop for money to, I don't know, buy jelly beans or something, who knows, right? But, but I decide to pawn it, then my wife says to me, hey, where's that wa- watch I bought you for your birthday, you know? I don't see you wear it anymore. Then you're like, I've got to go back to the pawn shop to get the, the watch back, right? If not, my marriage is in trouble, right? So I have to go back to the pawn shop to redeem my watch because my watch is kind of like under bondage by the, 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 the pawn shop people and I need to buy it out of the bondage of the pawn shop so that I can get my watch back. That's the idea of redeeming, redemption. In the ancient world, the idea of redemption was used for uh, slaves where if you're a slave, you want to become free, you need to redeem yourself, you need to buy yourself out of slavery. So, God is a redeeming God. He's a God who frees people from slavery and bondage by payment. And this is what God says that He's going to do for the servant. This is what He's going to do with the servant because He says, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation. Now, I want you to read very carefully because it doesn't say by the nations. But it says by the nation. okay, So singular, not plural. Okay? So that means he's going to be despised and rejected by one nation, uh, and that is his own people, uh, Israel. They reject him. And that's what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? So in, if you look in uh, Luke chapter nine, which is up here, it says, uh, "But what about you?" Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God, Jesus, strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. So we see here that actually God, the redeeming God, sends a servant to be rejected by his own people, the nation, as part of redeeming his people and saving people into salvation, So we sing of it all the time, right? So if you think of this song, The Redeemer, we think of God, the Redeemer, who uses Jesus' blood to purchase us from the cross, to pay our debt, to set us free. And that's what God does, the redeeming God, through the servant. But God, we also read, is the holy and faithful one, And he says that even though the servant is despised and abhorred, something 180 degrees happens because the kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now that's really strange, right? Because you're rejected and despised and then the kings and princes reject you. Now, what has that got to do with a holy God? And what has that got to do with a faithful God? A holy God is one who always does what is right, who is always going to do what is righteous. A faithful person, the faithful God, is one who is dependable and reliable and someone you can count on. And so God, who is holy and always does what is right, God is always dependable, will not let his servant suffer innocently because that's a wrong a wrong thing to do a holy God will not let his servant suffer innocently but rather God says that his servant will actually be raised up so that princes and rulers will bow down before him now again as we look at the person of Jesus Christ we see that to be true in Acts chapter 2 Uh, Which is up here, the next slide. It says, "Seeing what was ahead, uh, he spoke of of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see the decay." God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make my, your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, Lord, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Now I want you to know here that the, the Lord here is not capital L O R D, right? Capital L O R D means Yahweh, God's name. The word Lord here is uh, an office, a title. So God, L-O-R-D, raised up Jesus to be ruler as well as king. So what he's actually saying here is what happens in Isaiah 49. Jesus, who is rejected by his very own people, is raised up by God to be the king and to be the ruler over all rulers and all kings. Now, this is very important for us to hear, I think. Uh, We have to ask ourselves the question whenever we look at a Bible passage, why, why were the original hearers told this? Why did they need to hear this? So what was the big picture again? What was the big context? They were all in Babylon. They were all being tempted by the power of the princes and the kings of Babylon and the great power of Babylon. And they may have been tempted to follow the princes and the kings of Babylon instead of God and the servant. But what God is saying here in Isaiah 49 to the original hearers in exile was, why do you want to follow the kings of Babylon? Why do you want to follow the princes of Babylon? When at the end of the day, all kings and all princes will bow down before the servant of God. right? Why do you want to to miss out on this great king who is greater than all kings. Now, this is very important for us today, I think, because in a sense, that message applies to us today too. Uh, We are, in a sense, if you look in the book of Revelation, aliens, exiles in this world, we live in the Babylon of this age, and we too can look up to the kings and princes of this world. I mean, I'm sure uh, you look up to people in this world, right? but if you think of it, the the kings and princes of the business world, of the sporting world, of the media, of the entertainment industry, uh, many of these people uh, reject Jesus, they abhor Jesus, they despise Jesus. And if we listen to the voices of uh, these people who are like in the kings and princes of the business world, the entertainment industry, the sporting industry, then it means that we are not actually going to listen to what God says and what Jesus says. But we need to hear what Isaiah chapter 49 is saying because at the very last day, Jesus, when he comes, truly will be Lord and Christ. He will be ruler and Messiah. So there's, in a sense, no point listening to the kings and princes of this world. We should be listening to the servant instead. Now, the last passage, uh, which begins once again by saying this is what the Lord says, has another description of Jesus. So the first description, sorry, not Jesus, the, the, another description of God, right? So the first section described God as holy, uh, redeemer, uh, faithful, uh, this section describes God as compassionate. Right? The, the phrase compassion keeps being repeated. Because God is a compassionate God, He's a caring God, He's a loving God. Oh, okay. You can skip the next slide. Okay, so the next, okay. He promises to do various things. Okay, so if you look at the next slide, he says that he will restore the people he will restore the inheritance, restore their land, uh, he will give them freedom, right set people free from captivity and darkness, and he will shepherd them, he will shepherd them on, on you know these roads back to the living water back to a place where there's no beating heat and no. Uh, desolate ground. And these images are very powerful and very strong images. Freedom, restoration, shepherd back to the promised land. Now again, we find these verses directly quoted in the New Testament and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus leading people Not to a physical nation and lands, you know, in the world like Singapore, but in heaven, right? In Jerusalem, the the heavenly Zion. So in Revelation chapter 7, it says, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in the temple. And He who sits on, his thro- on the throne will spread His tent over them. Okay, so this is, uh, this is exactly what we just read, right? In Isaiah 49. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, the message here is very clear. God is a compassionate God, and He gives a servant to free His people, to restore His people, to shepherd them to the promised land. And we see that Jesus, the Lamb, is the one who brings people back to God from every nation, every tribe, every language, to this heavenly place where people will be free from all suffering. It's a picture where there's no hunger, no thirst, no scorching heat. Now, this is something which, for us who live on this side of the cross, uh, gives us great encouragement in our faith. Because we see that for the original reader in Isaiah chapter 49, they may be wondering, well, who is this servant? What's going to happen? I don't really understand what what God is speaking about. But as we come to this side of the cross in Jesus Christ, we see Jesus, He is the servant to come. He is the one who has already died, who gave His blood to redeem the people. He's the one who has been rejected by Israel. He's the one who has been raised from the dead to be Lord and Christ. But the only thing left that he hasn't done yet is that his mouth hasn't actually brought judgment into this world, like the double-edged sword or the arrow which is concealed in the quiver. So for us, as we hear Isaiah 49, we should actually find this to be a great source of encouragement. Like someone in our Bible study said, it's almost as if God has fulfilled almost all of what he said in Isaiah 49. It's just that judgment and the real fulfillment is yet to come. So all the more, as we come to today's passage, we really need to listen, we need to hear the servant, and we need to drown out the voices of the idols, and drown out the voices of the kings and princes of this world. So in conclusion, I was reading this book uh, by a pastor uh, a while ago, and he was talking about how in his congregation, there was a woman who used to come year after year for decades. And she was married to a drunkard, an abusive husband. Her children were very rebellious and always disappointing her, breaking her heart. And the pastor asked her, what do you look for when you come to church every Sunday? When you come to church, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? And she says she wants to come to church on a Sunday to meet God in His Word. She wants to be reminded of God and His character. She wants to be a reminder of what God has done for her so that she can continue on another week in faith. And I think as we come to today's passage, we, we've met God. We've met God, we see Him to be a compassionate God, a holy God, a faithful God, a redeeming God. And because of His character, what has He done? He sent us His servant Jesus, who's freed us from our judgment. He's redeemed us from our sin. He's restored us to relationship with God. He shepherds us back to a wonderful eternity in heaven. So we need to keep trusting and listening to God and not turning to the idols and the princes and the power of this world. I remember a quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, a favorite writer of mine. And this is what he said. He said, um, our passions are not too strong; they are too weak. We are far too easily pleased. Uh, now, obviously, when you kind of like just look at those few sentences, you kind of like a bit vague of what he's really saying. So, actually, the longer quote is: he says that basically we are too happy or too easily satisfied with the things of this world. Right? We're too easily satisfied with the things of this world and we're too easily seduced by the things of this world, we should actually be less satisfied, we should be more demanding of what we are looking for, and that only can find its satisfaction in God and heaven. So don't settle for the things of this world, but recognize that actually God is a powerful God, God is a loving God, God is a holy God, God is a compassionate God, God is a redeeming God, and He has got something much greater planned for us in heaven. And He's already brought that towards fulfillment in Jesus. We just have to keep listening and hearing Him. So let's keep persevering. Let's keep staying strong in our faith because of what we know of God and what He's done for us in Jesus. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come to the second servant song, help us to see that Jesus in so many ways has already fulfilled Uh, what you've already said in Isaiah 49. Dear Father, we thank you that you are a redeemer God. You're a person who frees people from slavery and bondage by the payment of blood by Jesus. You're a God who is holy and faithful, and therefore you would not let your son, your servant, Jesus, to be decaying in the grave, but you raise them up to be the Lord and ruler and king over all kings on this earth, that truly you are a God who is compassionate, who cares for his people, and you long to free us from our bondage. You long to shepherd us to much greener pastures. So dear Father, as we come to your word today, we pray once again that we will listen to your word, that we will hear your word, we will listen to your servant, and that we will not be easily satisfied with the things of this world, But rather, we will be much more demanding of what satisfies us and see that it is only in heaven where we will get your eternal blessings, where we will find true satisfaction. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.